crazy, man. You know what? When you said that last time, I was kind of tripping, right? But now, you right. I am crazy. But you know what else? I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about Steel. And I don't give a fuck about Raheem either. I don't give a fuck about myself. Look, I ain't shit. I ain't never gonna be shit. And you less of a man than me, so as soon as I decide that you ain't gonna be shit, <coughs> so be it. You remember that, motherfucker. Cause I'm the one y'all need to be worried about. Partner. And we are back after a, like, a brief hiatus while Ian went away to um, sunnier climate. Uh, you had a good holiday, I suppose, Ian? Yeah, I did. Yeah, all good. All good. Nice and relaxed. And uh, yeah, all good. Cool. And so Ian's excuse for not watching any films this week was he was on holiday uh, and mine was other, but we'll come to that later on. Uh, this is episode 70 of the Dude and the Monkey podcast and uh, we're bringing you a review of the new Kevin Costner and uh, McG film, Three Days to Kill. So we're going to throw some one old and some one news at you. We're going to give you a little brief, it's a, it, we'll call it a mini review uh, of 22 Jump Street because we both watched it 
a couple of weeks ago now and things start to get a little bit hazy so we're going to sort of say what bits we like about what bits we like about it uh, and then we'll get into the next part of our Ian and Mark throw their shit at each other uh, marathon with Escape from the Planet of the Apes and we'll close business with answering some of your questions and giving the responses to the question that we put out to yourselves uh, about uh, what your favourite Kevin Costner film. Uh, Ian, uh, anything you'd like to, to add? No, man, let's, get, let, let, let's do this. It's quite a, a full show, so let's crack on. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so, Ian, um, the opening question. Uh, what trailers have you been watching this past couple of weeks? Uh, okay, yeah, so there's quite a few, so I'll try and go through them quickly. Um, trailer for Dumb and Dumber 2, um, which I thought looked like it, it was going to have its funny moments, even though I will say the gag at the end with the old lady felt like it came from an entirely different film yeah uh that was it i don't know it kind of seemed like they needed to have a, a gross out thing and they really really went for it here um it, that didn't quite have the innocence that the first one did but yeah yeah, yeah we'll see we'll see um the interview teaser trailer for the interview which looks funny that's about it really um doesn't really say much more than the premise which is a fun one uh, so yeah, there's that uh, teaser for Paddington, which uh, I don't know. It made me laugh. It looks slapsticky. I'm not going to see it in the cinema, but hey, you know, it looks like it's going to be harmless enough. Um, trailer for Home, new DreamWorks one, which looks like pretty standard issue stuff. What doesn't look like standard issue stuff? The teaser trailer for Birdman. Uh, the new Inaritu film, which apparently is like hidden cuts, but one it looks like it's one shot. Some reports came out saying, "All right," uh, which sounds mental. Um, but yeah, looks looks all right. I've got no idea what it is, but the uh, the imagery looks interesting, and uh, Keaton and Norton have a pretty good like comic fight at the end. So uh, why not? Um, I'm I'm racing through these. Fuck it. I mean, I'm sure Marvel. Yeah. We'll, we'll kind of add to add some colour to them. International trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy that kind of make sells it as a different film. Yeah, it's kind a of seems more serious, like. isn't it? Yeah, um, even though it had the moment at the end with uh, Rocket with the uh, the bomb or the grenade or whatever it was. Uh, I'm you know I'm looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not long now, and um, it, it, I, I think it's going to be fun. This trailer seems to be painting it as a more straight-up epic, which mm, not too sure. Mm. Trailer for Expendables 3, which once again has sold me. Um, yeah. it, it just it it looks like fun. Uh, it comes out the Friday. It comes out on Thursday, the 14th of August. Friday, the 15th of August is my 30th birthday. So um, my plan is to double bill that and the Rover, and uh, then have barbecue. That's so. Solid birthday weekend. Though. Yeah, that that will do for me. So, uh, but yeah, the Expendables three. I think it looks like fun. I'm intrigued to see what Patrick Hughes does with it. Uh, the final trailer, as they say, for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Actually, this is my last one. Uh, yeah, final trailer for the uh, for the uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which uh, looks great. You know, I was already sold. It doesn't sell me anymore, but it certainly doesn't sell me any less. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much the same. I'm I'm, I'm well on board with that by now. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll add a few to, to that that I've watched, and I'll, I'll comment on a couple uh, that you've gone through there. Um, trailer for the uh, the judge, the Robert Downey Jr. film where he, he is an Iron Man. Uh, it looks, in, I mean, 
I'm a Robert Downey Jr. fan uh, to an extent. I think that the, the issue I have sometimes with him is his characters are just Robert Downey Jr. in that person's skin, as to say, rather than Robert Downey Jr. acting as that person. It looks a little bit, um, a little bit generic. Really, yeah, sure. uh, it doesn't look like it, it has that much. But then again, it, it's it's a minute and forty two seconds of a film, uh, so hopefully it, it's a little bit more weighty than it actually looks like it's gonna be. Um, I watched trailer for the uh, Kevin Hart Josh Gad film The Wedding Ringer, and it just looks it looks terrible. But I know that I'll probably end up watching it at some point. Um, Expendables three, like you say, uh, yes, very much sold. Um, you know, I, I like the first two films. I know they're not the most uh, popular of things, and I, I'd never want to defend them to the hill, but fuck it, I enjoyed them, uh, and I'll probably enjoy The Expendables 3. Um, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I will say I enjoyed the Paddington trailer a lot more than I ever expected to. Yeah. Um, I think it's very strange, however, um, quite warming to me that stand the guy uh, that Colin Firth has uh, left production apparently mm. and so he'll no longer be voicing Paddington uh, it'd be interesting to see who they bring in um, to replace him uh, I mean the idea of Colin Firth voicing a Peruvian bear yeah didn't make sense mm. you know it, it, I, I just I, I never saw that voice as that bear if you know what I mean yeah, uh, sure. it just didn't make sense uh, Birdman trailer very much sold on that looks very interesting always nice to see Michael Keaton doing something like just doing anything really to be honest um, no matter what I, he's, he's a great presence to have on screen and something that looks like it's a little bit serious but has definite kind of dark comedy elements to it I'm very much up for he's, he's very good at that kind of that brand of humour um, the Dumb and Dumber 2 uh, trailer the same as yourself um I thought it was good. It was nice to see. I think it's a very. I think I spoke about it, um, a few months ago uh, that I rewatched Dumb and Dumber. It's it's a very underrated comedy of the nineties, um, but it had a sweetness to it and a naivety to it that made the characters quite lovable and affable. And I just felt that that trailer at points ventured outside of that kind of uh, that feel and that that sort of cushion that the first film had. But then again, it's 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 only a trailer, but some bits of it felt a little bit too much like the influences of Sandlerisms had, had seeped into um, into our that that kind of comedy. That's a good way of putting it. That yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, of trailers, that's that's pretty much uh, it that I've watched um, recently. Like I said, the new Guardians, but I could say spoke about that. Um, I'm already sold on that, so looking forward to it. So yeah, that that's that's pretty much it for trailers for this week then. Yeah. Uh, right, cool. Um, we're gonna play a trailer for the uh, new G film, which stars Kevin Costner, another actor. It's nice to see just back on screen and in a leading role. It's not not often that we get uh, big Kevin leading roles uh, nowadays. So here is the trailer for Three Days to Kill. Five minutes from now, this team will save thousands of lives. Under no circumstances does this briefcase leave the area, or it's war. He's on his way. Good or bad, when you work for the agency, all teams in position, it becomes your whole life. 
worst in my life killing for you. You're the best agent for this job, Ethan. We need you. I just want to spend a little more time with my daughter and my wife. Why did you leave me and Mom? There's no easy answer. I was going to ask you to look after Zoe while I go to London for work. I can handle it. You have to make me a promise. Are you done? Are you really done working for them? What's happening to me? You're sick, Ethan. But I could offer you an experimental drug that might just give you your life back. So I buy back my life by killing for you. That's the job. You have three days to kill. You know, a lot of my friends' dads are in sales. And not one of them dresses like you. Zoe? I want to make dinner tonight. And I want to make spaghetti sauce. I'm sorry, I need your help. Just so happens I'm in a meeting here with a real live Italian. He wants to give you a great recipe. Why don't you say hello to my daughter? Hello, I am a Guido. But I am sure that if you don't try this drug, you'll be dead in three days. You said there'd be one guy. Not five. But you might want to ride home. Did you hear that? The spares loose in the trunk. Try to have a conversation with my daughter. I'm sorry, sweetie. Now, where were we? Okay, you had a trailer after three days to kill, uh, which is the latest McGee film, um, co-written, well, written by uh, Luke Besson and uh, Adi Hasek. Um, it's one of those sort of action thrillery films that Luke Besson produces and writes and then gives to usually an American director or a European director, and they they all come in at around the same budget, you know, around sort of thirty to fifty million, and get very low releases, but tend to be pretty high on the action. This time he's got Kevin Costner in tow. Along with that, he's got Amber Heard, uh, Haley Steinfeld, Coy Nielsen, and a bunch of other ones where you go, oh, it's that guy. Sure. Uh, Kevin Costner plays Ethan Renner, who is a CIA agent who uh, finds out that he has brain cancer, so he goes back to Paris to visit his estranged wife and daughter to try and kind of rekindle something. When he gets back there, he is approached by Amber Heard, who tells him that if she helps, if he helps her, um, and she's one of the uh, CIA's top operatives, track down the wolf, uh, then she can give him an experimental drug that might prolong his life. Um, Ian, what did you think to uh, Three Days to Kill? Okay, so first off, it's worth mentioning that the reason why we're doing this is because there, there was basically nothing out this week. Yeah. Um, you know, it came out. This came out in the US months and months and months ago, mm. and it just there's there's nothing else out to actually talk about. So um, if you're wondering why the fuck we're reviewing Three Days to Kill, that's why. And there literally uh, there literally isn't is there? I mean, a, a part of the reason is it it's it's World Cup. It's the first sort of two weeks of the group stages of the World Cup, so there is football on every night from five o'clock till one in the morning. But there literally is nothing out. <laughs> I mean, it kind of, like, last week was quiet as well, but, um, I mean, it kind of starts ramping up next week. Yeah. Um, and then, kind of, for like, for the next month, it's, well, the next two months, actually, it's pretty solid in the UK, but this, this is the 
the quiet couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, that's why we're doing this. So, yeah, three days to kill. Um, I wasn't a massive fan of it. Uh, I don't know why anyone would be a massive fan of it, but I'm I'm not going to say it's the like the worst piece of shit in the world or anything like that. Um, I mean, I watched the uh, the Besson directed the family last week, which I'm not going to talk about in one on one you, but was an affront to pretty much everything I hold dear in life generally. Um, but yeah, yeah, this. So um, I don't know. There's just there's not really a lot to say about it. It's pretty nuts and bolts. Um, it, it it's. It's kind of weird just how much of it is about him trying to reconnect with Hayley Steinfeld's character. Um, mm. I was kind of thinking that was going to be a bit of an afterthought, but instead it's almost the action is the afterthought here, uh, which that that way of thinking, I've just got to get this out there. That way of thinking is enhanced by the third act, which has one of the biggest and most stupid coincidences I think I've ever seen in film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, all spoilers all the time, but fuck it, who cares? What are the chances that the boy that Hayley Steinfeld's character is seeing, his dad's business partner, is the main bad guy? And, like, but that, like, it's not like that's like a plot. It's not like the boyfriend was like knew about this. It's not like anybody actually knew about this. Yeah, it's it's just a, a really stupid way of getting them all in the same place. Yeah, um, there's no. Uh, it doesn't actually end up becoming sort of a problem, really, or anything oh. like that, either, does it? It just kind of happens. Yeah, because Steinfeld's off um, with a French boyfriend, mm. and, and like Connie Nielsen's character is. Um, uh, if I remember correctly, quite safely tucked away as well. So it's just yeah, she she isn't she being sick on a ba- on a balcony. <laughs> yeah, it, it just it, it's it, it's bizarre. It, I mean, it, it's really like just. I mean, the thing is, like with and then this is best on so this connection. We're taken to moment in Taken 2, I think it's most most referenced, is the uh, the bit where Maggie Grace is throwing grenades around so Liam Neeson can locate her. Oh um, yeah. And there's there's the thing is there's nothing as gloriously stupid as, as that with three days to kill. It's like Kevin Costner doesn't have much of a sense of a humor in it, which is fair enough because he's got brain cancer. Yeah. Um, and, and instead you've got the usual kind of Besson like racial stereotypes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And All French boys are rapists. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And Amber Heard, who just like it almost at one point it was almost like you were watching under the skin or something there was a moment where like she was on the phone to him and she was just bathed in this red light yeah. and it was like she was just in this alien world and it, it just I, I, I it just moments like that that i'm just thinking what the fuck and the thing is none of this fe- feels particularly like McGee. I don't think McGee has much of a style, but this feels so much like these like Europa Corp films that Besson puts out. Mm. And it was like McGee just wanted a payday and was just told what to shoot and then did it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, it's strange when you look at um, McGee's directorial credits. Um, you know, he's, he's often gone for... Bigger budget, bigger sell films. You know, the Charlie's Angels movies, um, Terminator, and This Means War. You know, 
and then to go to one of these these types of films, which there's nothing wrong with these types of films, but it's just it, it seems strange that he's gone for that. But yeah, it, do, it does seem very much like like he's gone for for a, a paycheck, to be honest. I mean, because that's that's the thing. I mean, like these films that Besson puts out, he does basically give to his his up and coming proteges. Yeah, like uh, Olivier Megaton. I think he did Transporter Three, did Columbiana, and um, uh, did he? Did he do uh, Taken Two? I think he did. I think he might have done, yeah. Yeah, I might be wrong there, but like, so you know, and um, Louis Leterrier was uh, one of his guys, and he did the the, the the first couple of Transporter films, and it kind of moved on. So it kind of feels like these films are for Besson's boys, mm. but for some reason, McGee just decided to to direct this one, and there's. Like I say, there's just this. There's no real style. I mean, a couple of the action scenes are quite interesting. There's a car chase. Um, kind of getting towards the end, maybe about half an hour before the end, which um, I, I, I thought was actually all right, you know, kind of like racing into oncoming traffic and like guys coming out the windows and both shooting each other. You know, like that that was, that had a bit of pep to it. But I mean, the, the film's quite long for what it is. And a really massive chunk of it is Kevin Costner and Hayley Steinfeld. And yeah. it, you know, with just the ideas that apparently only only dads can teach kids how to ride bikes. <laughs> that, that sequence was fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Hayley Steinfeld is how old? Uh, she's 17? Like, in this film, she's got to be 16, 17. She's 16. It's, it's mentioned that she's 16 in it, yeah. And, I mean, and he's teaching... It's supposed to be this, like, heartwarming moment. It just... It, I mean, the thing about this film is it just... It doesn't work. No. And that, that's about all you can say, really. But what they're trying to do seems a bit like, really, as well. Um, they're really, I don't really have an awful lot to say about it, Mark, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm kind of glad we're doing Jump Street as well, to be honest. Mm. Well, I mean, what I'll say, uh, Freeze Kill, I, very much the same as you, it's not a good film, let's be honest. Um, but I, I didn't really uh, hate it. I just thought it was a, a little bit, stupid but not like in a taken's a stupid film but it's a very good film this it's, was it's, just... it, it's the it's the gloriously stupid yeah it, you it... know like the transporter films and like taken and you know i i enjoy taken two i'll say it, i enjoy taken two and that film's got some batshit stupid moments in it as well this doesn't have those no, and it's it because it, of it, the plot it, yeah it's it's incredibly underwritten for a start off um, also, we have a character who is called the albino, but isn't an albino. But then again, it could just be a nickname. So, but I, I was that that did enter my my consciousness also there. And also, say the wolf. We don't actually really find out, you know, what's why is that bad. And when he first, when Costner first encounters the wolf, he looks dead at him and looks suspiciously at him. But then doesn't think, well, maybe he's with the arms dealers. Mm. Um, there's a lot of, I, I'll be honest, the first kind of um, 30 minutes of this film, I was going, do you know what? I, I'm all right. I'm on, I'm on board with this. Yeah, so was I, actually. Um, yeah. And going, I, I'm, I'm, I, can, I can go up with this. Until Amber Heard turned up and started driving around ridiculously fast. And I thought, ah... So, 
Right. I thought, and as it started going on, he kept going to see her, and she was increasingly like there was that one where she was bathing red, and the one where she was randomly was watching that um, burlesque slash oh, strip yeah, resting, yeah. and he, he watched it going. I don't get what it is. The only way that this is going to start making sense is if it turns out she doesn't work for the CIA at all and that she's just fucking with him because she knows that. Because we've had no proof that she works for the CIA at all yet. And I thought that's the only way that this can kind of start to make sense. And then it started to strike me, the fact that Amber Heard seems to be one of those actresses that's tricked people into thinking that she's great just because she's incredibly pretty. It's literally the only reason why she is in films is because she's hot. Yeah, but but it's also very much like before. I think she thought, you know, she had an awareness of how attractive she was, but was also picking quite quite interesting films to an extent, you know. And she was in sort of fun stuff. And then it just seems like now she's basically gone. I'm going to pick stuff where people are going to call me pretty, and that's all I have to do. Uh, she's awful. I think it was basically because it was. It looks like it was shot in Europe, and Johnny Depp lives in Europe. It could literally be something as as simple as that. It, it's. I like Amber Heard. I mean, seen and stuff, and, and other films she's been. I I like her. I think she can be a very sort of engaging presence. But the past sort of few years of, of the films that she's done, that she's just been so incredibly one note. And the problem is, this note in this film is such an incredibly irritating note. It's a brown note. It's a brown note, yeah. And I watched it going, do you know what? I, I honestly don't care how pretty you are. I'd like you to be interesting. It, it doesn't matter how pretty you are. What matters is whether or not you have any relevance in the story, and you don't. You keep cropping up like you're this badass agent, but all you do is get Costner to kill people. And it seems like they could get somebody else to do this, start going through all this quite easily, because nothing he seems to do is actually that difficult. Well, apart, from, apart from one thing, why does he put that bomb thing on his foot and then ride all of that way on that bike? That will have fallen off his foot. Mm. It's oh. stuff like that that is just a little bit, a little bit stupid. And his kids are brats. Yeah, Hayley Steinfeld's not not fantastic in this no. at all. Um, I I, I want to bring up one thing as well. well and they, they do address it in the film, but it's still retarded. Um, he uses this stuff, uh, this experimental drug, and he's told if your heart rate increases, you'll start having hallucinations. Yep. And she says, well, just keep your heart rate low then, as if it's like just an offhand joke. Yeah. And he says, yeah, he does say in this job, I can't, you know, basically I can't do that. And he's he's absolutely bang on. And the amount of times that is used <laughs> to slow him down or get him into a tricky situation is but just, it's, it, it's the worst. It only seems to happen when he's got to the final boss. It, it's like literally when you're playing a computer game and you get to a boss level and you go, right, pause. Better dry my hands because they're sweating like a motherfucker right now. It is literally like that. It's like he's gone right. I'm at a boss moment. I've got I've got to kill the albino. Oh god, I'm gonna uh, boom. And that guy, every time he seems to be able to just have to shoot somebody, even if they're unarmed, that's the moment where it hits him. And it is used far too often. Yeah, I mean, even though I mean, I will say the idea that 
I mean, the, the idea of why he has to do this is ridiculous because he's the only one who will spot him, possibly, maybe, probably. Um, he'll spot the wolf. But I did like the idea that from the start, they are kind of saying he's not the shit hot one being pulled out of retirement for one last job because he's the best. Mm. You know, I like the fact that they do actually just make it clear throughout the film that he is, he is definitely fallible and he's got issues. And they say that's why he never rose to the top. I I like I like that idea. That's just something a little bit different, mm, I, I, and it's it's ideas like that 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 keep me from saying this is one of the worst films of the year because I don't I don't it won't be in my bottom ten. I'd be surprised. Oh no, but well, I, I think I think if you shave off um, twenty minutes and you polish the script up a little bit, you shave off twenty minutes. Um, Polish the script up a little bit. Get rid of the a little bit more, a little bit more of the father daughter stuff. Polish up Amber Heard's character to an actual character, um, and you've got you've actually got a, a really decent film there. It's just they've tried to make too much out of the type of film it is. A great little bit is the fact that um, a funny little moment is the fact that he comes home from years away. I think it's meant to be five years away. And he's got a, a Malayan family just squatting in his his apartment, and they're just ridiculously yeah. nice to him, and he, he doesn't really know how to react. And you get that you get from there that he's a nice guy, you know. And he's like, well, I, I need this room, and he keeps going back, and the kid just keeps asking for high fiving, and you've got bits like that. But you could quite easily lose that out of the movie. Yeah, I mean, like I think, that, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it's it, it's not particularly offensive or anything like that you know right. I mean, it's, it's it's fine to be in there but when you got a film that's about two hours long yeah taking that stuff which is pretty extraneous when you've already got him reconnecting with his family and all that stuff i think that stuff does the job enough that you don't need that that other family but I, it, it's you know again it that stuff wasn't to be honest in terms of the actual execution i preferred that stuff to the moments with his daughter yeah yeah the, the watch was not like, like you say the um the, the what's it uh well I didn't have my dad around to teach me how to ride a bike. It's like really, but your mum could have taught you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but also it, it seemed to be like it was laying foundations for things, like laying possible story bits and going right. Well, we might take that character in that way. We might take that character there, and then they just went ah fuck it, we can't even let's have a shootout. Yeah. And it does seem a little bit, which a lot of these scripts do seem a little bit like that. And there's actually nothing wrong with it. But these, to me, are the sort of movies that you you watch to kill a couple, to kill like an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, I mean that 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 was basically it. I mean, and it, it kind of worked okay. I mean, it's for me. I mean, it's definitely shit, but it's not egregiously. I'm really pissed off about it. it it's if it was shorter it would probably be touching cloth yeah i, I think i'm i think i'm the same with you there I, I, part of me wants to say it, it's touching cloth but i think that part of me is the part of me that's going that's in the background going kevin costner got kevin costner in it and i'm going yeah but but it, it's still just shit it just quite not quite touching cloth because it is, and I, I I do really like Kevin Costner, but it, 
he should be doing better things, and he has done better things over the years. Um, and it just seems it, it seems like with Costa, it's like one day he, he, we woke up. Cause, I mean, he's he shit on this thing a little bit in um, in the sort of small amount of press he's done for it. He, oh, he, really? He, he's not being he's not being complimentary of it, um, really. Um, but it, it does seem a little bit like it is. I don't know, like he's, he's come home one night, watched Taken and gone, see, that's the sort of thing I'd like to do. You know, something like that. And he's, a, and he's rang his agent up and gone, have you got anything like, like Taken, you know, something like that, where I get to go, I get to be a little bit of a, little bit of a, a badass and sort of prove that I've still got it. And they've gone, well, actually, yeah, we've, we've, we've got this. And he's gone, oh, all right, yeah. And then, like, two months later, he's gone, oh, I wish I hadn't fucking said I'd do this. That's, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was literally his agent called him and said, you've been offered this, it's by the guy who basically wrote Taken and look what that did for Liam Neeson. Yeah, but and I, Ke- I, Kevin Costner was just like, yeah, all right, then fine. But I, I have a feeling that, that Costner isn't one that's kind of, that's fade away. I get a feeling that he, he, he's purposefully gone. Uh, I'll, I'll make movies when I can be asked. And like, he, he literally could ring up a whole host of people and go, I'd like to be in your next movie. And get that kind of that kind of thing. I don't know, I just feel like it's a bit... It's a bit worse. He seems like he's, he was a little bit burned by those bad few years that he had in the mid-90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it. it's not very good. No. But maybe, 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 if you're in the right frame of mind that it's on Netflix, maybe. Yeah, it, it's, it's, that, it's that type of film where, you know... Don't watch it as the only film you're going to watch that night or that day. Mm, that's a it, good way of doing it. It, it yeah. could be a really good film to watch on one of your on a, on a midweek day off at like you know with your breakfast. Watch it then. <laughs> you know that would be a good setting for it because you wouldn't finish it and go, God, I could have watched so many other films tonight apart from that. <laughs> mm. So yeah, uh, yeah. Sadly, it's uh, it is shit. Um, yeah, it's a shame. It, it is I, a shame, but it, it, it's just not that good. The bad guys are also fucking terrible as well. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty... Fuck, they're, they're pretty they're not scripts. I mean, it, it, like, so much of the film's taken up with him and Ailey Steinfeld that it, it like you just don't even get a sense of who they are at all. You, you spend more time with the guy who he's using to get to the bad guys yeah, yeah. than you do with any of the bad guys. Hmm. Uh, right, so that was uh, Three Days to Kill, which sadly we, we, we both thought was was, was shit. Um, then again, I don't think either of us went into it thinking it was going to be uh, the surprise hit of the of the year. Yeah, I mean, I went in thinking if it's definitely not shit, I'd be stunned. But yeah. I, I think I still gave it a fair shake nonetheless. I mean, I, I did text the other day and said, said I've read one review of it and it said it was the uh, worst, uh, worst thriller they'd seen since Alex Cross. Which to me just went fuck it, that's brilliant. If it's if not... it's half as much fun as Alex Cross, I'll be happy. It's not. Uh, Alex Cross is the last riot though. Yeah. So hey. Yeah. Right. Um, bear me through. I've got a hair in my mouth. Uh, curse of the bearded man. Um, right. So we'll play some promos, some podcasts that we uh, like and enjoy, and then we'll get into some one old, one new. <laughs>
It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick to manage it. You'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I can handle anything. Action. <laughs> Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. <laughs> and romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back for just one more adventure. Humans are such easy prey. Noel Miller presents You're the problem, you little shit! The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Mellor, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures in VHS or visit adventuresinvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and hard cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really it's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, I must, this is on. You can find us at chinstrokerversuspenter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who would keep a secret. I'm Sarah from GorePress.com, and along with my co-host Phil, we present the GorePress Gorecast. But Sarah, what is the GorePress Gorecast? Well, Phil, I'm glad you asked. It's a weekly show in which we review horror movies, discuss our love for the genre, and generally just blunder through, showcasing our startling ineptitude at podcasting. Hello, and welcome to another... Go- oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake! No, that's not helping! That sounds ridiculously professional. That can't be all we do, can it? It certainly isn't. We also try and talk a little bit about what we've watched recently and selflessly plumb the depths of B-Movie Hell so we can inform you, our loyal listeners, about what to watch and what to avoid. Well, that just sounds dandy. Where could I find such a podcast? Well, Phil, you can subscribe to us by searching for the new Gorepress Gorecast in iTunes or you can find us at gorepress.com. So much knowledge about this film. Okay, uh, there was some uh, promos from podcasts that we know and enjoy. Uh, Ian, do you want to fire us in with your first one or one new? Yeah, okay. So I'll um, I'll keep this kind of on the recent releases tip. So um, my my one new is uh, Oculus. Oh, um, the, the the horror one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is uh, directed by Mike Flanagan, who directed um, this really well buzzed about horror that I've been meaning to like catch but haven't. Um, Absentia. 
Um, I've seen Absentia. Yeah, it's a good film. I enjoy yeah, Absentia yeah. very much so. Yeah, I, I need to check it out. Um, so the story is um, two kids, uh, what was it? Their, their, their mum went insane and their dad basically tried murdering all of them uh, in, in their house. And uh, the the boy of the kids kills the dad. And like I think it's 11 years later or something, the, the boy's let out of a mental institution and uh, his sister meets him there, basically. His sister played by Karen Gillan of Doctor Who fame. Um, and basically she says, we know what was responsible for all of this. And it, essentially there's this mirror in the house that um, it, it basically makes people go mad and kill themselves and other people in really grisly ways. Ah, oh, I used um, to have one of those mirrors. Yeah, yeah, paint, paint oh, the arses. They, they, they are literally the worst thing in the house. You start doing your hair, and then just all of a sudden, just killing. Just fucking yeah, killing yeah. shit. No, exactly. They're terrible, terrible yeah. things. And this is based on your life, I believe. It is actually uh, based around what happened. Yeah, it's why I me mean, and I don't talk anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, <laughs> nice. Um, and uh, basically, she has managed to procure the mirror, and uh, it basically, she wants to destroy the mirror. Um, he, after being released from the mental institution, have said, it basically says to her, it wasn't the mirror. Our dad was a maniac. He was a psycho. That's all there is to it. Uh, but wouldn't you know, it is the mirror. That's not a spoiler. I mean, come on. Um, and basically, um, she has set up a load of cameras, a load of like devices to um, to stop the mirror if things get too freaky. And uh, they're basically planning on documenting that their dad wasn't insane, that it was the mirror, and then destroying the mirror essentially. Um, and it basically it, cr- it it cuts back and forth like very often in the same scene, especially as the film goes on, uh, between what like happened to the family. Um, and the dad's played by Rory Cochran um, of uh, Dazed and Confused and uh, Scanner Darkly. And uh, the oh, mum's right. played by, uh, yeah, yeah, and he's, he's actually pretty good in it. He's, um, he's, and... he's done a lot of really good indie films. You can look over his CV, it's pretty damn impressive. Mm. And he did uh, write at your door as well, didn't yeah, he? So he's, great he's, film, that is. Yeah, so he's, he's got genre in him. Um, and uh, the mum's played by Katie Sackoff. Uh, Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica, so you got mm. Starbuck and Amy Pond in the same film. <laughs> so, you know that's kind of got a lot of geek juices flowing. Um, so yeah, and it 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 basically cross cuts between and like as the mirror um, kind of exerts more influence over over the present, kind of like the past and the present start getting kind of like tangled up, and um, things that happened in the past seem to be influencing things in the present and vice versa. Um, I really liked it. Actually, um, I, I was I, I, I was really, really pleasantly surprised by it. Um, the, the, the great thing about it, and I, I, like, I, I actually I, I was listening to part of this week's Kermode, but I didn't listen to last week's. And I just heard him talking about the, uh, the top 10. And, he, and I, I actually very much agree with him. The good thing about Oculus is the fact that it really doesn't rely on jump scares. Um, it, it does actually rely on character and writing and scares that are kind of more weird mind fucky kind of things and and not just scares as well just like the way it builds things up uh there's um i won't spoil anything because i think you should watch it mark but um, i definitely will yeah nice um there's a moment where um they find that the the cameras watching the mirror has been rearranged and they play back the video and I 
was kind of thinking, right, is what we're seeing there what we actually saw earlier on, or was it not? Or and it, it's weird little things like that, and and it, it just kind of making you actually question what you saw earlier on. Um, that I, I I really enjoyed out of it. I mean, it does have jump scares which are you know they're not great but whatever um and it does have gory moments um but i also like the fact that it doesn't really explain the backstory of the mirror at all uh, there's a great sequence early on where like the first half of it karen gillen is basically this kind of like sociopathic like just obsessed with this aim of disproving that her dad was mad and there's a, a quite a bit of like pitch black comic moments and um She's talking to the camera about all the various ways that the mirrors killed all these people. And it, it, but and yet it never actually talks about the origins of the mirror or anything. The mirror just seems to be its own entity. And it kind of feels like I'm a, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are direct to video sequels that might go into the backstory of the mirror. And I would be less and less interested as that goes on, frankly. <laughs> I like the fact that you've got something here where the, it's just it's an evil mirror. And it really, really doesn't like people, you know. And that—that—that's—that's, that's, you know, that—that's fine. Um, but I mean, the, the past stuff as well. I mean, Rory Cochrane, he kind of. There's a little bit of, you know, what you know. That there's some like extramarital stuff going on, but then there's stuff called into question about about him as well, and then Katie Sackoff's character and stuff called into question about her, and it, it's. It, it, I don't know. It, it it's. I just really enjoyed watching it. I got into the atmosphere of it, and um, I, Karen Gillan and, and Brenton Fwaites, I think, is the the guy who plays like the the grown up uh, brother. Uh, he's all right. I mean, Karen Gillan's got like quite a bit of pep to her in this, and um, she never really quite turns into like a damsel in distress or anything like that, which is good. Mm. And um, I mean, it's got a, uh, it's got a really mean ending as well, um, which uh, feels entirely in in keeping with this film. Um, so yeah, I, I I very much recommend um, Oculus. It's uh, it, it, it's it's one of the the best mainstream horror films I've seen in the last few years, and uh, I think it might be another Bloomhouse film as well. And I it again, I, I, yeah, Bloomhouse I, and a WWE one, I think as well. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, which is crazy. But um, I, again, Jason Bloom, I like I like what he does. Not all of the films that he produces works, but I like the fact that he lets people who know the genre well work within the genre and lets them do their own thing and i think Oculus works for it um it was um, it was actually an adaptation of mike flanagan did a short film uh that this is based on so he's obviously had it in him for a while and it looks like this is an uncompromised his vision and that's mm. all the better for it it's really worth a watch yeah um I, i'm definitely definitely gonna give it a go definitely i mean i was i, was, I didn't realize it's by the same guy i did uh absentius and i really enjoyed that it's good mm. Uh, right, uh, I'll, uh, it also it's good to get a, a, a good horror film. Uh, yeah, again, it's, get, it's quite rare. You get a deluge of such crap that it, it's nice to actually get something that actually has some kind of weight behind it and actually kind of makes sense. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely get into it sooner rather than later. Um, right, I'm going to throw I'm going to throw my one um, old uh, update people first. Um, I got to work in the morning very early, and I had like two and a half um, hours to kill before I was getting delivery, which I knew full well uh, wasn't coming in until after I would normally have to be there anyway, but I had to be there just in case. Um, so I basically had two and a half hours to kill at work in the morning. So I thought, fuck it, I'm watching a film. 
So I, I flicked through um, Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime and saw, came across Ocean's Eleven and thought, I haven't watched that in a while, uh, I'll, I'll give it a go. So I re-watched uh, Ocean's Eleven, remember that I, I quite enjoyed it, was quite surprised by it. Uh, and this film, you know, now is, what, 13 years old? Um, yeah, 2001, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, I remember, you know, this was, you know, Brad Pitt was was already a proper full-blown uh, movie star, but Clooney hadn't quite, you know, he hadn't quite hit that that level yet, the level that we now just associate with Clooney being, you know, one of the, the big players in Hollywood. Um, and, you know, to a, a much greater extent, uh, Matt Damon was, you know, this is, I think, is it, it's, in between the Bourne films, I think it is. Uh, yeah. After Identity was, I think, 2000, maybe. Yeah, after Identity, I think, but before... Supremacy, Supremacy yeah. And, and Bourne sort of launched him, you know, into, you know, again, you know, not quite the level of, of Clooney and Pitt, but, but very much a, a big player within, within Hollywood. Um, and it, it always allows me to never watch Ocean's Eleven, because you watch it, you know, every few years, is... Just how much of an entertaining film it is, you know. It's based on the um, the sixties um, film of the same name, which you know, of course, starred you know the Rat Pack at the time. Um, and this, you know, Soderbergh, he he doesn't he, he doesn't just try and just shot for shot remake that. He tries to, but he, what he does do is he tries to pull in kind of themes from that and from that film and from that era when the film was made and to try and kind of to pepper it with you know references but not just kind of like looks and winks to the camera more kind of like a feel and you know the soundtrack and the style of it of it all and it all sort of flows so well and you know you watch a film and it's i mean this is this film is actually the same length as um, three days to kill um, oh yeah, really. It's exactly the same length. Yeah, they're both 117 minutes. Um, and Ocean's Eleven, it, it, it's one of those great films where it feels like you're watching a two-hour-plus movie, but not in a bad way. There's so much that happens, and it clicks along at such a kind of a nice kind of you know heisty jaunty pace that. You know, you're always going, shit, you know, there's a lot crammed into this, but it never feels like you're going, like you're going, I'm, I'm lost. Who's that guy again? It, it constantly keeps you aware of what's going on, but while also kind of uh, tricking you as to where the film's going and as to what's going on, it doesn't show you too much. And also, you know, you get those those great kind of uh, patters between Clooney and, and, and Pitt where... You know they're talking to each other, and, they're all, and they are actually at points uh, either finishing each other's sentences, or there's a scene where, I, where they're talking to each other, and um, Clooney's actually talking, and Brad Pitt's rusty character isn't even talking. Clooney's just answering for him, and it's those kind of relationship fits really quite well. And then you've got the the outsiding, the the rest of the the eleven. You know Matt Damon's. Good in it, but he's underused. But then again, you know, you get the feeling if it was made now, they'd make Matt Damon's character a little bit bigger. Um, you know, the only one that really lets his eye down is Cheadle, and he's just fucking awful accent. At no point, I don't understand why Soderbergh didn't go, hmm, yeah, no, Dom, no, no, I'm sorry, that's that's just terrible. <laughs> um, so. 
you know, you've got that in it. But it is just one of those ridiculously entertaining and really well crafted and well put together movies. And it, it, it gave Soderbergh kind of that 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 pull back that he maybe that he, you know he had after the success of Sex Life Videotape and then he he never quite you know he, he went too far down his own alley uh, and then out of sight and um, Erin Brockovich kind of gave him that that sort of thing to go right well I'm gonna make this movie and then you know things happened after that um but it's it, it really does still stand up it doesn't feel like a, a 13 year old film it still feels like like if it was released now it'd be exactly the same you still get on with it exactly the same and it'd still be entertaining and it wouldn't feel aged at all um you know and it is you know 13 years isn't a long time but in that kind of heist movie world 13 years can can actually seem like quite a long time and it's just it is surprising how how much they get in and how well this film ticks along and how many of the characters, you know, just kind of fit so well and these actors sort of fall into them so nicely. It really is a, a, a wonderfully entertaining movie uh, to watch. Uh, and one that I think if people haven't gone back to it that often, it, it really is a great movie to go back to. It's a comfy pair of shoes, is Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, ex- yeah Exactly. It is exactly that. That and that's to be honest, that's why I, I chose to watch that morning because I thought I, I want something that I can sit, I can drink my coffee too, I can eat my maple slice, and I can just I can not have to think about you know the fact that I'm gonna have to do some fucking work in you know a couple of hours. Uh, that I'm trapped here, I'm gonna wait for a delivery that I know it's not gonna arrive. And this just kind of blew all that away because I could just get involved in it, I could get interested in it, I could get lost in it. But if the delivery did turn up uh, I, I, it wasn't as if I couldn't pause it and then come back to it 20 minutes later. Yeah, fair play. Uh, so, go on then, Ian, throw us your, your one old. Okay, so my one old. Um, so, yeah, while I was away, I read um, The Freaking Connection, uh, William Freakin's, uh memoir, which uh, I thought was really entertaining, actually. Um, he, he's very, very honest about himself and about the mistakes he's made in his career and... Um, and uh, there's a chapter on uh, Sorcerer. I think the chapter is actually called Hubris, uh, <laughs> which, which is, uh, you know, fair enough. Um, and, uh, yeah, I came home um, from the holiday and found my Blu-ray copy of Sorcerer on the on the doorstep. So, uh, yeah, um, I fucking love Sorcerer. It's my second time of watching it. I watched it for the first time, I think, last year. And it was like a, a, a like a VHS rip, I think, that I'd um, downloaded. And um, going from that to this Blu-ray, it's awesome that Blu-ray transfers can still have this much effort put into them. Um, and I mean, like, it's been widely publicised that the DVD came out at the same time, and Friedkin looked at it, and he was just like, "This isn't, this isn't that fucking transfer." It's like they just stuck an old transfer on and released it on DVD, and Friedkin actually had the DVD release pulled. And yeah. uh, he's kind of like supervised the remaster himself, and um, uh, like apparently it's going out again with uh, a, sticker a sticker on right, saying yeah. <laughs> William Freakin's actually looked at this, basically, uh, which is awesome, you know, that 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 kind of director power can still be had, um, even though then again, if it's that or the director of the film's going to go on social media and make as loud a stink about it as possible, then you know. Um, but yeah, I, I will say first off, this 
actually is probably one of the best looking Blu-rays I own. Um, it's insane how good Sorcerer looks. The colours in it almost look like they're intended to make you think like you're tripping balls at times. Um, the colours are really vivid and really intense. And it really it helps with the surreal, nightmarish, descent into hell kind of feeling that the film has. Um, and I mean, like the, the stuff at the end where it looks like they're, they're driving on the moon that just looks absolutely glorious. Um, but I, I, I assume you've seen Sorcerer. I have. I, I, I've seen a, an old VHS copy of it. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I, I, as of yet, haven't bitten on the um, on the Blu-ray. But I, what I'm saying is I, I, currently as we speak, I am I am ordering it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the, the, the thing is, there are no features on it, which is a, which is a shame because Freakin's up for doing commentary, so I don't know what happened there. Um, and I mean, I managed to find it for about thirteen pounds, which is I, I thought was fair enough. And um, what? Where'd you find that? Uh, eBay. Ah. It was brand new as well. It's just an eBay seller, but um, and I, I I think it was like an actual like eBay store, but yeah, um, yeah, it was about thirteen pound all in. It took about a week and a half to turn up, I think. Um. But uh, which is all right. But um, yeah, I mean, it's um, I actually asked Arrow, uh, their Twitter account, if they had any plans for Sorcerer. And they were just like nothing mm. like there's nothing. So I'm, I'm assuming like Second Sight or Arrow, it's not going to get that kind of release. I mean, I think to be fair, I think Warner Home Video, they actually put quite a bit of money into the restoration. Um, and they're not going to release it. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, I think it kind of makes sense. It, it's bizarre as well, the way it works. It's, it was a Paramount Universal co-production originally, uh, but Warner brought out... It, it apparently, uh, Freakin had to sue to get the rights back or something, and then Warner said, we will put X amount into the restoration if you let us release it, and there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the film itself, so for those who don't know, it's a, it, it's... It's the same. It's taking the same kind of story as um, uh, Henri Georges Clouseau's uh, the, "The Wages of Fear," uh, but it's kind of making a new story. But the, the 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 principal men driving trucks full of really explosive material thing is is the same. Um, but here you've got these four guys, disparate guys, who for one reason or another, you find out in like the opening twenty minutes of the film, have had to run away to this place, and uh, it's just a horrible sweaty dank place and uh this company basically offer the 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 people in the in this town uh a shitload of money for what is basically a kind of a suicidal job uh they they actually say um in in the film you know you you, you've got two trucks of this stuff because you're betting that one of the trucks isn't going to make it you know so it's it's that kind of a thing because basically if there's the wrong jolt this stuff will just go up and completely blow um and uh, Roy Scheider kind of heads up the cast, and and, and it's basically it's Friedkin doing his thing of a men being men, and b men doing their their jobs well. It's it's yeah. Michael Mann's quite close to Friedkin in in that kind of way. I mean, yeah. and they they've shared actors as well, um, and it, it's. It's just it's one of those films. Every time you watch it, it just feels more impressive. I mean, the the fact that that it was all practical is absolutely mind blowing. I mean, Dot Donna was like in the room while I was watching part of it, and the uh, the sequence where the trucks going over the rickety bridge, it, it, she she was just like, "How are they actually getting away with that?" You know, and it is <laughs> it's it's true. Um, but as well as that, the 
the, 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 this this location where all these guys find them, find themselves in it the, the way it's almost taunting them uh, I mean there's there's one moment where I think it's Shider is looking at this picture up on the wall when it's like this woman with big boobs and a bottle of coke you know it's kind of like they're, they're, they're kind of like the American dream and yet they're and yet he's in this shit pile um, and by the end of the film he's he's he's, he's pretty much gone mad as well it, it, it's it's kind of more of an experience than I think it is a narrative, as pretentious as that kind of sounds. But it's got this hallucinatory quality that's made more so by the Blu-ray transfer. Um, and it, I mean, Tangerine Dream's soundtrack, which I'm I, I'm not as big a fan of this soundtrack as I am for the one for, uh, for Thief. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, that's that's they they do great work in that in that score. But um, it's it, it still completely absolutely fits and the ending of this film is absolutely perfect as well the way it, i will just say it reintroduces some characters you've forgotten about um and what that kind of means for it and the, the, the way it kind of feeds into this hell on earth kind of idea it's uh it, it's really really wonderfully played i mean it, it's it's a great film and it, the, the fact that the character work is pretty much done through the guy's actions, not their dialogue. Even when these four guys are together, they say absolutely bugger all to each other. And uh, it, it almost feels like what they say to each other is not even particularly important. It's it, it just, it's really clever, mature stuff. And I think it came out the week after Star Wars and then got murdered for it, basically. Uh, and uh, I'm not, I'm not surprised, you know, but it's, um, it's a film that kind of feels like it's more suited to the late 60s early 70s than it is the late 70s but uh as it is it's still absolutely magnificent and i mean the blu-rays the blu-rays got no features like i say but it's really well worth picking up cool uh out of curiosity was it from a a, a seller called all your music all your music sounds about right yeah, yeah. it does because i've got i'm looking at it now uh 15 pounds 77 but it does advertise it as a region a blu-ray but it's, it's not it's not free. region free isn't it yeah, yeah all right. Well, then I'll order it from there. Cool. Um, while you're talking, I'm going to look into that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it is. It's just reading through. I've just checked. There's oh no, no I was other... just uh, about the, um, the the eBay seller, just whether it was them or not. Yeah. Cool. Right. Uh, while you're looking at that, I, I shall get into uh, my one old. Um, my one. Sorry, one old, one new. Sorry, uh, I've not done one old. Um, having watched um, Ocean's Eleven um, on Saturday afternoon, I decided to watch a film. Um, Isabel was uh, practicing skipping for her um, sports day outside, so I thought, right, I'm going to watch a, a film now. Uh, and then was taken by the fact that I'd never actually seen Ocean's Twelve. Oh, okay. Uh, so I, I, I haven't seen either of the uh, the Ocean's um, sequels. So. I had the afternoon to myself, and I knew that I had the evening to myself, so I thought, I don't know what I'll do. I'll, I'll watch Ocean 12 this afternoon, and I'll watch Ocean 13 tonight, because um, Becky was out uh, last night. Um, so I watched Ocean 12, um, and, you know, being a big fan of the, the first um, Ocean film, you know, and just having just thought about it a few minutes ago, about how sort of peppy it was, how it, it, it felt, it didn't feel dated, even though it was 13 years old. And it, it had so much going for it, the fact that it's under two hours long, but it, there's enough there that it makes it feel like it's two and a half hours, you know, and how you know great a chemistry and how intelligent it was and how spiky it is and how it all fits together. I find it utterly amazing that, that three years later, the, the same people could make a film of this bad. Um, oh, okay. Uh, it is... 
it's over two hours long uh, and it feels like it's about six hours long um so that kind of threw me um because i was expecting uh this to be like nice and poppy and fresh and it, it to work as, again as well and i was looking forward to spending another sort of two hours i was looking forward to spending another four hours with these people but i was looking forward to spending another two hours with these uh these people in in this movie um and then what you get essentially is um, just a flip round version of the first film where, you know, Danny's character and Rusty's character are just flipped round. And then you get this, this shoehorning of getting Andy Garcia back in there so they can be against Vincent Cassell's character who just makes no sense at all and then ends up having just some preposterous scenes in it. Um, and, you know, they go, oh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, you want her in there because Rusty's got to have a, a love interest. And it, it just, it after about 10, 15 minutes, I was going, I wonder how long this has been on. I paused it to go and get a drink and thought, it's been on for 10 minutes? It felt like an hour. And all the way through it, I kept thinking, I, I, I'd set aside this afternoon and tonight to get through all the Ocean films. So I'd watch all three of them, and so that completest nature kind of kicked in. And about halfway through it, I thought, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a single reason for why I should watch the rest of this. And the only reason that I could think of was, well, Ocean's 13 can't be this bad. And the only reason I could think of to finish watching Ocean's 12 was because I'd already made the decision to watch Ocean's 13. And I couldn't be asked to think of anything else to watch. I wanted to watch 13. I wanted to get the completestness done of these films. It's just baggy. The, the whole, oh, well, doesn't she look a little bit like <laughs> Julia Roth? Fuck off. That's not smart, it's not clever, it's just utterly wanky. This film felt like the ultimate actors on a holiday playing around. It, it felt like a hundred million dollar student movie made by incredibly talented people. Like Soderbergh had been given all of this money and all of this control and what he delivered was just utter crap that people that he knew he could trick people into thinking wasn't crap because it starred Clooney, Pitt, Damon, Zeta Jones, Andy Garcia, and Drew Roberts. And it is so dumb, boring, bland, stupid, every just ridiculousness you could throw at it, it was there. I utterly hated this movie. I like Ocean's Twelve. And it how? It's terrible. Can you explain to me? How, how, you've got to at least have gone. That's fucking stupid with the Jude Roberts thing. The thing is, it is massively self-indulgent, but I also find it quite stylish, and that, that, I like I, how I the get plot. That. I didn't get any of the stylishness of it. It just felt wanky 
I, the thing is, I haven't seen it in a while. And the, the, the first time I actually watched it was um, my second date with Donna um, when it like it first come out on DVD. Um, like we just like we uh, we went round to mine and and watched it and whatnot. But um, it uh, yeah, I, I so I mean I I haven't seen it in a while, but I didn't like it the first time. Don hated it the first time, and I, I don't think she's watched it since. But I, I watched it again a while back, and I actually thought it wasn't that bad i i don't know i i i think it's quite fun i i think the fact that it looks like they're having fun i i kind of got on board with it might be one of those ones that maybe if i'm in a bad if i'm in the wrong mood i won't like it if i'm in the right mood i would like it perhaps uh, maybe uh, maybe my mistake was watching it so quickly after it's watching. super super different yeah um, did you watch oceans 13 uh I, yes i did actually i watched it last night how, what do you think about that? Because um, that's a, I think that's very different from Ocean's Twelve, but they're not that different from Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, that's it. It's because it, it, that's because the thing is, Twelve isn't a heist movie. It, it's just, it's almost like a, like an Ealing comedy, but doesn't work. It, it, it's like that. It, it, it is it is a little bit zany, and it just it felt. It just didn't feel right. Whereas 13 does feel more like 12. And I, I enjoyed 13, not as much as 13 feels more like 11. I enjoyed 13, not as much as 11, but I still, you know, sat back and I still watched through it and thought, yeah, all right, it gets fucking baggy as hell throughout the middle and it's not as clever as, um, as Ocean's uh, 11. But I, I still enjoyed it. Whereas 12... I was just, the, you know, I can't really say it, but the worst crime a film can make is, is to make you bored. And I was just so bored during 12. Maybe I went in with, with way too high expectations. I mean, just watched 11 and gone, do you know what? That's a great movie. Mm. But it was just, it was just flat. Fair enough, bud. Um, go on then. Uh, well, that's, that's it. Was done with that's it. So, yeah, fuck <laughs> it. Um, Right, so we're going to uh, do a, 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 a mini-review, uh, we'll say, of 22 uh, Jump Street. Um, uh, for, for Sorcerer uh, up, Update, uh, we have discovered that uh, I am going to get it from the same place as Ian, but I'm paying £2 more. Uh, he's gone up to £15.77. Um, and for all you people out there, uh, if you find someone that says that it's Region A only, it's not. It's Region. It's definitely Region Three. Yeah. I like my. I played it on my Samsung player, which is Region uh, Region B. It's only Region B, but it played. Well, I, I I've checked um, Blu-ray.com uh, and used their pretty spot on about this. This is the only Blu-ray of Sorcerer at the moment, and it is Region Three. So, so fucking. Actually, to be fair, Freakins actually said that on Twitter yeah, as well. Yeah. It's like people people asked him what about other countries and he was like there's no plans but this is region three so yeah so i i i will be will be getting that uh and i'll be i'll be indulging its gloriousness like i say i haven't watched it since a really bad vhs uh a number of years ago so I'm it's, it's like watching it. a brand new film it's awesome i'm 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 really excited <laughs> now to nice. be honest i'm actually i'm looking at it going oh but for an extra tenner i could have it 
next week. <laughs> don't do that. And that, that, the only thing that stops me from doing that is going, that's stupid. <laughs> All your music actually usually shit pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it. It might be worth seeing how much it is on movietime.com. Uh, time spelled T-Y-M-E. Uh, you might have to pay a couple more quid than that, but they ship from within the UK. Um, and I, like, I use them every now and then because they kind of add a bit of a premium on i think because they ship in the uk but um they come awfully quickly i'm just having a look to see how much it is on there um for a digital 17.99 uh, you'll okay. literally get that if you ordered that today i think you'd get that maybe wednesday oh there we go then there we if go it's a couple like if you're only paying a couple quid more to be honest i'd probably do that yeah so. i'll do that yeah Cool. Nice. I've got some money wrapped around my PayPal account, uh, so there we go. I can put it to good use. Sweetness. So I'm gonna play. Uh, I'll play a trailer from uh, Twenty Two Jump Street uh, before we go go into it. Um, just because fucking why not? That's why. Um, so here's a trailer for Twenty Two Jump Street, and then we'll we'll do a little mini review of it. Never to see you again. What's up, dog? We're back. Ladies, nobody cared about the Jump Street reboot, but you got lucky. So now this department has invested a lot of money to make sure Jump Street keeps going. The only problem is the Koreans bought the church back, so we're moving you across the road to 22. Jump Street. You two sons of bitches are going to college. Oh, so tight. We'll go around to classes and activities, ask around about the drug, find out who the dealer is. If you don't have to do this, man, I just don't want you getting hurt. I'm not gonna get hurt. Oh, I broke my ass. Why boy wasted? We're like a power couple. We're like Rihanna and Chris Brown. You're a good dancer. Sometimes you're meaner than I'd like you to be. Drunk stagger, drunk swagger. I don't rap good, it don't matter. We jump street, and we're about to jump in your ass. Mm -hmm. Right in the crack. We need an expert to consult. Listen, Mr. Walters, I should apologize for shooting my penis off. But don't sweat it. They gave me a vagina. Hey, guess what? I'm Eric's bitch. Uh, no, you're not. Yes, I am! You own this ass! Oh, my God. Hey, Eric. Okay, you heard a trailer there for uh, 22 Jump Street, which is the uh, sequel to 21 Jump Street, the film from two years ago, that uh, I think surprised everybody uh, at just how bloody good it was. Um, myself and you, Ian, were, were huge fans of, of the movie and were very much Hello. looking forward uh, to 22 Jump Street. Um, felt like a strange time for the podcast, because obviously we would have been covering it as a, as a main review, but it, it felt that week sort of when Ian was going away, it, it just... We felt like it had been it had been too long to afterwards to do it as our main review, but then we still wanted to talk about it. 
Um, directed by Flip Lord and Chris Miller, uh, who of course directed in, you know, the first one uh, and had a big hit earlier in the year with the uh, Lego movie, uh, which again, we, we both liked as well, didn't we? Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, sorry. Solid movie. Um, so this time, uh, you've got the same um, actors here you uh, with uh, John Hill and Chan Tatum. Ice Cube's also back. And they're also joined this time by... Uh, Peter Schrommer and uh, Wyatt Russell, um, which I only found out afterwards was Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's son. Uh, yeah. And then looked at him and went, oh, God, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, basically, you've got the same two guys, um, Schmidt and uh, Jenko, go to college this time, and it, essentially it's the same story. Um, Ian, what did you think of uh, 22 Jump Street? Okay, yeah. So um, I really uh, liked 22 Jump Street. It's kind of hard to find anyone who didn't like 22 Jump Street, frankly. Um, it's um, I, don't, I don't think it's quite for me. I don't think it's quite as successful as the first one, uh, like marginally. Um, and I do hope they don't do another one, even though you know the closing credits obviously seem to put paid to that, at least with this this team. But um, yeah, it's it's got a good mix of clever humour and stupid humour. You know, um, I I think Channing Tatum's actually by like by a margin the best performer here. Um, I think Jonah Hill slightly relies on his Jonah Hill isms a little bit. Um, uh, you know, and there there are kind of moments I, I wasn't massive on, but for the most part, yeah, it's uh, a, a very successful sequel, made me laugh way more than enough, and uh, almost justified its length as well, which was surprising given that it's almost two hours long. So yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, it adds a good sort of ten minutes on the the, the first one. Um, I think part of that is, and, and you know, but the part of that could just be fucking credit sequence, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I'm very much the same. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I laughed easily enough. I, I'd agree. I don't think it's quite at um, 21 Jump Street levels, but maybe because there's the, uh, with 21 Jump Street, there was that initial kind of shock value of how good it was. But I will say that during 21 Jump Street, I watched it with, with Becky at, at the cinema. There was a portion for about eight or nine minutes where. I was gone. I I needed I needed it to slow down because I was just laughing, just pretty much like blind laughing for about sort of eight to ten minutes. Um, this didn't have that in it, but it it had so many little quick quips uh, throughout it um, that kind of got it. There was only one moment of actual I was where moments of laughter where I was gone and I needed to kind of fucking contain myself a little bit. Uh, and it's the the bit where I don't want to give it away. I mean, we are all spoilers all the time. I don't want to give away this great a joke, but it's the moment where uh, Jenko realizes something, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. his response to it is just incredible um, to it. But there's also a lot of sort of fun jokes that are just kind of thrown out there. I like the way that it's it, it is essentially just taking the where it, it's it's so aware of it self as a sequel and it, it, it takes the piss out of that and it, it throws out all of those bits I like that but I do think there are a few kind of missed beats um, 
within the film a, a little bit throughout it where it kind of loses its its itself a little bit. For instance, the what's the girl's name? Is it Mercedes? Sure. Yeah. Um, the fact that the, the the fact that she keeps on mentioning that Jonah Hill looks old. Um, the fact that that is a joke that is literally the only joke her character has is a you look old joke at Jonah Hill's character. It, that kind of got me going. I get it. All right. Can we? Can you move on to a different type of joke? Because that was all they had for her, and it felt a little bit. Move on. Move on to something else because it's getting annoying now. Uh, that one, and that did start to get a little bit annoying. But then again, like I said, I think Hill's character isn't. I think. Tatum's character got better in this film and Hill's character kind of stayed where it was. I mean, the great moments with the, the throwaway jokes of um, him doing sort of parkour and, and jumping down and it's like, what the fuck are you, Spider-Man? And then you get the Spider-Man jump. There's yeah. bits like that that are just great and there's so many little references thrown in that I was thoroughly on board. And to be honest, uh, I would I fucking love a sequence series he is just because I like spending time with these characters. My my favourite part of the entire film was the second Annie Hall bit. Because it just... It, it's... What the fuck? Um, like, so, like, at the start of the film where it says previously on 21 Jump Street and it's got the moment with the lobsters. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Um, and it's just like... And, it, you know, and then he actually <laughs> tries to do that, Channing Tatum with Wyatt Russell's character later on. And it's just like, there's a very good chunk of the audience of this film who won't know what the fuck what that, is, yeah. that is about. But that, like, it made me laugh enough when it happened in the, in the previously on bit in the first place. The fact that it was all, all stuff from pretty much from the first film and then you've just got like a random bit of Annie Hall essentially it was like um oh god what was it it's a film I used to watch loads where there's an outtake of one of the Smokey and the Bandit sequels in the gag reel is it Anchorman yeah I think it is yeah it totally is Anchorman yeah there's there's the outtake from from Smokey and the Bandit yeah you know, which is just, you know, it, it, the kind of that kind of incongruous, like what the fuckery is incredible. I mean, this so the second time the Annie Hall bit, like I almost just wanted to clap. You know, it, it just it's so good, and the, the Benjamin Hill Center for Film Studies bit. Uh, you know, <laughs> like just there's so much clever cine literate stuff in here yeah. but it's not done with a look how clever we are it's just silly it, it literally like as as it was being written they went oh we should do this and we should do this and we should do this the, the, the great throwaway line of well i know you can get free wi-fi like anywhere on campus <laughs> it's like yeah free wi-fi it's like shit stupid brain mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's just some great little throwaway bits like that that just that just make sense and the the Kate Blanc, I thought we had Kate Blanchett. You know, there's just it, it's stuff where you can imagine that looking at it on paper and going, I don't know if that's actually funny, but Tatum seems to have a great comedic balance to him. 
Where? I mean, in that scene as well, I mean, Ice Cube with the, um, like, my shoes cost $800 and you can't even see them. You know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, it's things like that, you know, which just feel so right. And, and they really work. Um, but, I mean, and the whole film's about kind of taking the piss out of the fact that it's a sequel and doing the same thing over again. And, I mean, it... it the thing is, I don't think this particular element is meta, but I don't... I didn't really give a shit about the Jonah Hill r- romantic relationship. I don't think the film does. That no. is all about the reveal. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. And there's a, there's a great moment where everyone's walking home from the uh, the walk of shame, and he, he's the only guy doing it. It's quite amusing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I, it, it, it just... There are just little bits in this that don't quite click for me. I'm like, yeah. It's 21 Jump Street. The whole film clicks for me. Yeah. This not quite as much, but it's still. But the thing is, I think the highs in this film are as high, if not higher, than Twenty One Jump Street. Like my favorite moment in Twenty One Jump Street is them emerging out of the limo and the doves are flying out, and there's just a box that says doves, doves on yeah. the floor. Yeah, yeah it, 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 I, I. I think maybe the Annie Hall bit is actually better than that for me. <laughs> but I, I think there are individual moments in 22 Jump Street that I prefer to 21 Jump Street, but I think as a whole, I prefer 21 Jump Street. Yeah. But you compare it to something like Anchorman 2, that even though I liked it a lot more the second time round, that, it, that film still does kind of feel like diminishing returns. Whereas this, it doesn't... It doesn't feel like that, even though it kind of is. It, it manages to pull that trick. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'd say, I, I'm absolutely... I mean, the thing is, is I went to see something earlier, and I know uh, Becky wanted to go and see it with me, uh, but we, we didn't get a chance to. Um, so, but I, I said to straight away afterwards, you know, if you want to go and see that, I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to go and see it again. Yeah. And um, the only reservation I have about going to see it again... Is if I is if I subconsciously kind of start laughing before a joke comes because there's nothing worse than that. Yeah. Because yeah, then yeah. the person you're with kind of looks at you and goes, "And then it's something funny is about to happen," and they end up missing the funny bit. So maybe it'd be better if I wait until it comes out on Blu-ray to actually watch it again because I might have forgotten the, the cues for those jokes. Or if I say, "I've gone see it with you, but I'm going to sit somewhere else." <laughs> mm. But yeah, but and I, I'm kind of thinking, John, oh, actually, fuck it, I could go and see it tomorrow night. Actually, I might do that because <laughs> I, I, I absolutely adored it. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. It is without question a definitely, definitely not shit. One hundred percent. Yeah, um, it's a sequel that really, really fucking works, and I, I'm looking forward to watching it again and looking forward to the first time I can double bill it. To be honest, with Twenty One Jump Street. Nice. Cool, right, um, so that was our mini-review uh, of 22 Jump Street, um, a, a film which, you know, had a lot of expectation going into it, and I'm very glad that it, it, it fulfilled all that expectation. Uh, well, now we're going to come to our third in our Ian and Mark throw uh, their own theses at each other um, marathon with Escape from the Planet of the Apes. So here is a trailer for that. Her loving husband, Cornelius and Little Milo. The most dangerous to man is Little Milo. Why? The time is 1973. The place is right here on Earth. 
How did they get here? What is their reception? Welcome, gentlemen, to the United States. Escape from the planet of the apes. Their adventures are completely fresh, completely new. Astonishingly different from what you experienced in Planet of the Apes and beneath the Planet of the Apes. At first, feared and imprisoned. We'll take the female first. Well, she seems to be pretty smart. All right, we'll go for the banana. Well, why doesn't she take it? Because I loathe bananas. I don't believe it. Sarah, are you mad? Until we know who our friends are and who our enemies... And how in the name of God are we to know that unless we communicate? We can speak, so I spoke. The president convenes a special board of inquiry. Have you a name? Zero. Does the other one talk? Only when she lets me. <laughs> Embraced by our civilization, the nation gives them a hero's welcome. Address, please. To Zoo. <laughs> what is it? Well, it's sort of uh, like grape juice plus. How is that? It's certainly the most incredible story this reporter has ever covered. And you share the impact of every incredible moment. Must have been the shock. Shock my foot. I'm pregnant. The president's chief advisor wants them murdered, or else the human race cannot survive. The escape. The birth of an infant who could threaten man's very existence. You're the second human I've kissed. You are the first. The Relentless Chase. The Stunning Climax. Shoot. Why was Washington thrown into a turmoil by this one baby? Stop him! Escape from the planet of the apes. Okay, that was a trailer for Escape from the Planet of the Apes. It's the third installment of the Planet of the Apes series. Uh, Made in 1971, uh, which is just like three years after the uh, the first one, uh, and a year after the the sequel. Uh, directed this time by John Taylor, uh, Roddy McDowell's um, actually back for this one, uh, and so is uh, Kim Hunter. Uh, this one is actually well, they're all set on Earth, but this one is set in uh, our version of Earth. Um, as Cornelius and Zira, along with Doctor Myler. Um, Essentially, you get into one of the spaceships before Earth is blown up and end up going back to 1971, uh, where the film becomes basically a reversal of uh, the original Planet of the Apes film. Uh, this one is actually uh, one of the uh, most uh, highly regarded of the of the sequels, I think. Um, so, Ian, uh, what are your thoughts on Escape from the Planet of the Apes? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the most highly regarded with um, with good reason. I think 
obviously I haven't rewatched Conquest or Battle yet, but out of the original run, I think it's the best sequel um, for sure. Um, it's a film that I think has some problems in its tone at times. It kind of feels like, I mean, it was it was released in 1971, so it was right in, or two, no, I think it was one, right in that cusp of the, like, the, the kind of like the, the, the end of the good times and the start of the dark early 70s kind of times. And I think that this and certainly Conquest of the Planet of the Apes feed into that sense that everything is not going to be okay. Um, but the thing with this film is that it does, for a part of it, just play as almost like a fish-out-of-water comedy. Yeah. Um, and it, I, 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 it has things to say about society, but not as much as I think a lot of the films do. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Conquest next week, but that, that film is very much about slavery. Um, whereas this, I don't know, it, it the, the, along... I mean, it's a film that has um, apes getting pissed on champagne, which is called Grape Juice Plus to them. <laughs> but also scenes where a doctor kind of tries, and, and that's supposed to be funny, but along with scenes where a doctor basically kind of tries to abort a baby through getting an ape pissed. Mm. And it, it, it's... You know, I mean, with the ending as well, which is it's really rather depressing. Also, it just it I really, really like it, but it does feel like at times it doesn't quite know quite what it wants to be. Um, though I, I don't know. I mean, go on, Mark. Yeah, I, I'm the same. It, it's it, it it is. You know, I mean, I I mean, I I enjoyed um, Bunny certainly. Uh, and I have vague recollections of all of all of these films, so I haven't watched them um, that recently. Um, but once I started watching this, I started remembering a lot of things um, that that happened throughout it. And let's like say it, it does play a little bit like a a fish out of water comedy, where you know they're trying on new clothes and they're getting used to things, uh, you know, that are different in this world and our world, you know, and television and and things like that, and they're. They're becoming more like people. Um, it is the idea, I think, think there, um, and it, that does feel a little bit kind of incongruous to the to what you get towards the end, uh, where you get this this sort of the agenda um, that's coming from, excuse me, um, Hesselin, uh, Hasselin, uh, there that he has already decided that he wants to, you know, before the commission's gone through anything like that. You can tell that he's already against this idea, and he wants he wants them terminated. Uh, that he just comes across as been a bit of a nasty piece of work, um, and you know there's there's a lot of those kind of politics of, you know, it, it's very obvious politics of them going well, you know, they're only doing in their world what we do are them in our world. So, can we really think that badly of them? And it, it, it's that kind of ideas. Um, it is. I mean, it's it's a short movie as well. It's it's under a hundred minutes long. Uh, but you do feel that it, it it kind of does lose its way a little bit in the middle. Um, and once it sort of starts getting like that, and it go, it stops being as interesting as the first kind of half an hour is. Uh, and you know, doesn't 
have anywhere near the interest of the last half an hour. That middle bit kind of started to lose me a little bit, where I was, it, it felt a little bit too jaunty and you know chirpy um, for the movie that, that, that I was watching. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know, I mean, because it feels like they're kind of playing on the them being like America's sweethearts or something. But yeah. after that whole section and it, it kind of gets into she's pregnant, it it, it, it drops that completely. Mm. And it, it, it's it's not about that. It's not about the public's reaction to them at all. And it, it kind of reasserts the film. It's actually kind of the, the, the beginning of it and kind of makes it out that it's going to be. Um uh, but I mean, the, the, the thing is, though, I mean, what what I think really works, though, uh, I mean, particularly with the end, is the fact that you've been with Zira and Cornelius for three films, yeah. and you know that. I, mean, I, I think it's kind of interesting that they play a part in their own destruction here as well. Like the fact that Zira is so headstrong, yeah, and, and Cornelius is is kind of just slightly willing to go with the flow. Um, I, 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 that's interesting, even though I kind of almost feel like Zira's, uh, she's definitely the victim in the end, one of the victims in the end of the film, don't get me wrong, but it, it almost kind of feels like they don't quite say enough, you're not helping the situation. She, she loses a little bit of, 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 of sympathy, in a way, because you go in, because she is quite antagonistic. That's, yeah, I mean that that's 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 the thing. She is, and it almost feels like Cornelius is the antagonistic one in like the first Planet of the Apes for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and yet here it's kind of almost played like kind of like girl power. Yeah, go. I mean, you got that scene with her in the in the in the women's club, yeah. for example. And 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 yet, I mean, in the end of the day, Doctor Milo tells her not to speak. She speaks. Mm. I mean, and, that's and, that's yeah. a great scene. Uh, the, the whole the, them sort of trying to find out the intelligence. That's a great scene, and that whole bit is very good. But yeah, no, I, yeah. But just like the the fact that she's not with. But the thing is, though, it's very much mirroring Taylor in in Planet of the Apes. Yeah. That the kind of their, their headstrong. I'm trying to prove to you I'm I'm smart. Damn it, you know, without yeah. actually having to te- like, w- you know, with with Taylor, it's because he can't, and in this, it's because she's been told not to. But um, I mean, I think it's interesting. That, like, you know, you you've got a really strong female character in in a few films, uh, played by a you know played by a woman, uh, a, 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 you know, well, obviously played by a woman. But the fact that you've got this strong female character in these films at a time when you know there weren't a lot of strong female characters in cinema, uh, but it, it kind of almost feels like her character's ever so slightly betrayed by this film. Um, it, but, it, but then spending time with Zira and Cornelius is is good and nice. And, I mean, you know, towards the end, Ricardo Montalban comes into it and he, he seems to really get them. More so, actually, in fairness, than the um, the kind of the uh, nominal two kind of human leads of the film. The uh, the Do- Dr. Lewis and the... Um, the, the the, the lady who, unfortunately, I can't even remember her name. That's how much of an effect she actually has on the plot. Dr. Stephanie, I think. Dr. Stephanie, yeah. yeah. Um, they're, they're kind of just there, I I, I find, that, those characters. Um, but by the end, I mean, you've got pretty much Cornelius is dead, Zira is dead. Yeah, and it, it just... 
I don't know. It's 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 weird. I find it. I, I find the, the last 10, 15 minutes actually genuinely upsetting. Um, also, I mean, because of the filmmaking, I mean, like Jerry Goldsmith's score is barely used mm. towards the end, and it's just this kind of like this desolate, spare area, this like tank, this kind of like broken down tanker, and they're all just skulking around on it, and it. it, um, it I, the 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 way that the, the film ends as well with uh Milo uh, uh baby Milo's just saying mama over the soundtrack again and again yeah it's, that's incredibly eerie yeah it's it's and and also because a it's depressing because you know his parents have been killed but also b because of what it represents like that the fact that this basically this chain of events is gonna cause the next film and then what happens in the next film mm. yeah it's it, yeah I I did think like you say it does. It does kind of turn um, to being a, a much more—I don't want to say nasty, but a, a much more kind of aggressive movie and, um, than it, than it is in the first. You know, because the first sort of bit is—it's that—it's that mirroring of the of of the first film, and then you've got the kind of jaunty, very kind of late '60s, early '70sness of it, uh, with the you know the hotel montage and stuff like that, and then you get. This kind of almost desolate ending, like you say, in the, on a disused oil tanker. Um, this, you know, which almost looks looks kind of you know post-apocalyptic in the sense of that's where they're hiding out, and you know they they have this quite unceremonious end to, to these characters that you've sat with through through essentially three movies, mm-hmm. um, and it does feel, in a weird way, it it, it feels more final than the first two movies yet the first two movies end and they end their stories whereas this doesn't it leaves itself open to the the next movies but it it feels like more of a more of an ending like a a tangible right well that's that's over and this can begin kind of thing yeah yeah no absolutely it's um i don't it's the, the thing is, these these films have very very striking endings. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting that, that that's basically a through line for pretty much all of them. Um, I mean, I like I, I mean, Battle is no doubt out of all the films we're going to do has the brightest ending, even though there's still, when you think about it, with that film where it where it takes place, it's still things are still going to lead up to the first planet of the apes. There's obviously shit's going to go down in the interim anyway. So, yeah. I mean, even, even then it's um, all very nihilistic and um, it, it, I, by memory as well, this is the kind of the last one that kind of feels like it had a similar kind of budget to, um, uh, to, to, to the first two. I mean, I know Mike pointed out with the, uh, with, uh, with uh, beneath that, you know, a lot of the masks in some of the ape scenes do look poor and it kind of almost feels like they, they, they the fact that this is, there's only like three apes who have masks in, in this entire film. Mm. Um, I, I, even though I think there's an ape costume as well for, for the, the gorillas, but um, it, it, it kind of feels like they're, 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 they're pulling their punches with the budget a bit just through that nature of the storyline, but it still looks good. I mean, Jerry Goldsmith's doing the score again, which he didn't do for the second one. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a solid enough score and it, it, it still feels like there's production value here, which I think, especially when we get into conquest and especially battle, that's going to get us. So, yeah, uh, it, it feels 
it does feel like a slight like it, it there's slightly more thought going into this film and it's less sort of reactionary um to planet of the apes as in that was really popular it was really good Let, let's get this one you know we did get from that the uh, ted posh one that it did feel a little bit rushed this doesn't this feels like they've spent sort of time on it and that they've plotted out a good idea uh, for the actual the storyline and like that and it's you know and you bring it to bring it back to our version of a does kind of make sense from a, a budgeting point of view etc uh, and it does sort of feel good so I didn't dislike it but I, out of all the sequels this was the one that I was I was looking forward to most because it's the most well kind of received and I felt a little bit like it maybe lost me a little bit too much in that middle portion of it. Uh, that where, but when it got to the end, I was a little bit too much waiting for the end rather than having been taken to the end. Sure. Uh, but uh, definitely not shit for me. Yeah, it's definitely not shit for me. It, it, it's still a, a, a very good movie, um, you know, and it's it, fucking hell. It, it's under a hundred minutes long. It, it still gets in there and gets out pretty damn quick, mm. but. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's ease enough there for me to say that it's definitely not shit. Nice. Uh, cool. Right, uh, so next week it is Conquest oh, of the Planet of the Apes, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, we'll be getting on to that and we'll possibly uh, be, possibly maybe be joined by a guest for that one. Yeah, see how it goes. See how things go. See see how his life develops before then. Yeah. Totally. Uh, right, uh, so, questions. I'm just going to try and I got some. All right, go, go. Okay. Um, actually, first off, there's a comment from uh, at uh, Ryan uh, Ryan Gil, uh, uh, Giblin. Sorry, he says uh, just listen to your Godzilla review podcast. Got to agree with Ian. Yes, lack of interesting characters and not enough Godzilla. Thank you very much, sir. Um, never mind, Mark. Um, <laughs> it's like I've used people not agree with me. <laughs> Um, at Rick J Kid. Um, so this is actually a question going back a couple of weeks. I think we must have just missed it. Um, commemorating uh, it, it, was, the... it was it was while we're doing it was in between shows before we did the uh, Conan. Um, oh, fair enough. What's it then? Um, so this is um, uh, commemorating. Uh, this is Rick J Kid commemorating the brave sacrifices made on D Day. What are the best scenes of a character sacrificing themselves? Oof. Uh, oh, Father Karras in The Exorcist. Yeah, see, that's a strong one. Um, the Iron Giant. Would that count? Oh, Superman. Oh. Yeah. Uh, isn't there a really good scene where essentially uh, Chris Evans sacrificed himself in Sunshine? Um, to an extent, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like he just kind of like knows that. he's fucked and then gives up. But... Yeah. So that, but yeah, but I enjoy it in my That's a, that's a fucking great movie. That, actually, that going back to the question that we had ages ago, months ago, probably even years, about a year ago, was uh, what film doesn't have but should get a Blu-ray release? I enjoy it needs a fucking Blu-ray release. I think Brad Bird has basically come out and said Warners aren't going to do it because they don't think it will make enough money. You fucking idiots. It will. Yeah. It's a fucking great movie, Zion Giant. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, what else have we got? Um... Look. 
Oh, that's it because you did your uh, your, your new thing. Oh no, actually, hang on. Uh, Rick yeah. J Kid again. Um, Costner and Besson both worked on Three Days to Kill. What other '90s icons do you want to see to work together and on what? That's a good question. Man. Yeah. Um, well, for the thing that we've got here, um, I'd like. I, I would love to have seen. I would love to see. Um, Costner uh, worked with Tarantino. I know they very nearly worked together on um, Django, um, but I would very much like to to see uh, Costner work with someone like Tarantino. And it's not because of the whole oh he could revive his career like he did with Travolta and all that bullshit. Just because I think it would be an interesting. I think that it would be an interesting sort of character for him to take on something from there. Um, so that I'd probably mind. I'd like to see. That kind of happen. Uh, I like to see. I know it's he's probably more eighties, but I like to see Eddie Murphy do something good again. <laughs> but teaming up with who? Uh, teaming up with. Who who made sort of good kind of bouncy action movies in the? You know the Wachowski brothers. But yeah, but I, Eddie Murphy and the Wachowski brothers. Yeah, come on, uh, go on then. Yeah, yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, look it. Why not? That that go for that. That's my answer. Eddie Murphy and the Wachowski brothers are mine. Costner and uh, what is it? Yeah. So um, I also asked the question um, to to you guys um, as we're coming three days to kill, uh, and it's a Kevin Costner movie. Uh, I asked you uh, to give me your favourite Costner films, please. Um, Got some of them here. Um, give me a shout out in if, if I miss any of these. Um, at Cinemalist, um, Lee uh, says he gives us a top five, which is brilliant. Thank you very much for that. Uh, number five, Tin Cup, uh, which is a great movie. I, I very much like Tin Cup. Um, uh, you might hear more about that at some point on a future podcast. I've got an idea to put to Ian. Um, for The Untouchables, uh, I know that you're a big fan of that film, Ian. Fucking love the Untouchables. Uh, three thirteen days. Um, can't remember that one. To be honest. Um, it's the. Um, it was him and uh, I think it's Bruce Greenwood. Uh, it's about the. Uh, I think it's the Cuban Missile Crisis. Ooh, I don't know. If I've seen that actually. I'm actually I don't think I've seen it either. Um, but, um, yeah, I've heard good things. Number two, JFK, uh, which obviously is a fucking great movie. And one feel the dreams he puts in for that. Um, Phil Dreams, again, is another, like like we were saying about uh, Ocean's Eleven, is another sort of warm hug of a movie. It, it, it's a really... I remember that being on ITV a lot when we were kids. Yeah, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like, early 90s. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jay Soul, uh, um, at Thunder in My Soul on Twitter, says, The Untouchables, by far, uh, the genre, cast, story, all work for me, uh, followed uh, by Robin Hood for purely... And the score. Seasons. Yeah, yes. Great movie, Untouchables, yeah. Uh, TGP73, uh, Virginia Prince. Uh, I hate Costner, uh, so Man of Steel. I'd never seen one of his films all the way through. That's crazy. I'm the president founding member of the uh, WWS, the Haven't Seen Dancing with Wolves Society. Neither have I, I'm also a member. Uh, Dancing with Wolves isn't one of his best movies, uh, to be honest. I'll, I'll say that out there. Um Soapy Pitts uh, at uh, Boosh71. Uh, open Range up there with Unforgiven for me. I thoroughly agree with that. Open Range is a fucking great Western movie. Uh, have you seen Open Range? 
no, but I, oh. yeah, I would like to. Fair Watch right. Open. It's a fucking great movie. Uh, Rich Kid, uh, The Untouchables, great cast, great action, highly quotable script, great score, all great all round. And then he actually says again, Costner, uh, 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 actually, that's the question, actually, with the next one there. Uh, uh, I think at Nightbreed 980. No, at Film Samurai is the next one. Yes, um, A Perfect World. I saw A Perfect World at the cinema, actually. Um, despite the fact it was a 15, and I think at the time I was about 11, I went on my own to watch it, and I actually paid to watch that movie. Uh, I didn't just sneak in. Uh, I just, I, I, I just, I don't think I noticed it was a 15. Uh, and I went to see Perfect World. It's, it, it, Perfect World's a great movie, but incredibly sad. Um, 3,000 Miles to Graceland, uh, a very enjoyable movie, and he says Dance with Wolves. Um... J-Mac, uh, at Nightbreed, 1984. Uh, Mr. Brooks is a very underrated Costner film. Love it. Um, I got Mr. Brooks, but never actually watched it. It's still in its cellophane wrapper in, on DVD on my shelf. So I'll, I think I might get that soon. Um, just know, um, at, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. F1978 says, Soil List by Lee, which I think he's referring back to somebody else. Uh, which says... Um, might have to add open range to the mix. Uh, which I think Lee might have put his on my feed, not on the What Is It feed, so I'll check that out in a second. Uh, fixated on, uh, aka Steve Shooter, uh, says Perfect World, Untouchables, uh, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Uh, Perfect World has such a great central relationship, funny, sweet, and sad. Uh, Dan Orty, uh, Mondo Dan, says his cost of top five would be Number five, The Untouchables. Number four, 13 Days. Number three, No Way Out. Oh, that's a great film, yeah. Number two, uh, Open Range. And number one, JFK. Dan, next time, mate. Write down five to one, not one to five. <laughs> Dick. Uh, Baz Film, uh, at Baz Film. Um, I enjoyed Mr. Brooks, a different character from our Robin of Loxley. Uh, Tom, at Very Cinematic. Uh, I've just, oh, oh, a question, yeah, actually. Oh, yeah, it's a question. Yeah. Sorry, Tom. I'll let you, I'll let you I just read moved that question. Watched... Oh, sorry, go on. No, you, I'll, let you, I'll let you read the question. Um, I've just moved and haven't watched the film for weeks. What's the longest you've gone without watching a film and why? Um, recent memory. Certainly since, like, sick form. Uh, it would be a week, and it was because I was on my honeymoon. Um, I managed to watch one film while I was on honeymoon and it was Ripley's game, <laughs> which I watched on the train from Rome to Naples. That's not too bad. Uh, but yeah, the honeymoon was like two weeks and that was about, uh, well, 10 days and that was about three days into it. And then it was about another week before I watched another film. So uh, yeah, I think that's a solid enough reason. I think maybe mine was maybe, um, in recent memory, I'll be, I'm sure I've, I've gone longer, but in recent memory, was maybe four or five days. Um, I think it was literally just work. <laughs> I think I had four or five days worth of double work, uh, so I just didn't get a chance to watch it. Um, I literally watch, can watch a film, you know, I, 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 my brain starts to notice if I don't watch the film for two, three days. I yeah, recently didn't watch a film uh, to start the World Cup for three days and was very aware of the fact that I hadn't watched a film. Mm. Um, Tom at Racing goes up to say, Feel of Dreams, uh, Kevin Costner is best playing like what every man his performance sells the fantastic story. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'll just quickly sort of check my feed, cover it out on my feed as well, uh, just to make sure we haven't missed anybody. Um, uh, da-da, da-da, da-da. Um, 
No, I don't think we've missed anybody. No, I don't think we have missed anybody. Sweet. Cool. Uh, right. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was the end of episode uh, 70. Um, we're back next week with a review of... It's either Chef or Cold in July. Um, kind of depends on what I can get to see. I think. Well, then we'll we'll leave that. We'll we'll leave that to, to whatever you can get to see. Uh, nice. do, 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 do. Right. So yeah, um, and we'll also have the uh, next installment of our uh, Ian and Mark throw their feces at each other um, marathon with Congress of the Planet of the Apes. We'll have the usual one old one news, uh, and we'll either have Conjoy or Chef for your listening delights. Ian, uh, anything to add uh, to? episode 70 nope I'm going to go and see um, how much the kid has puked or shit up in the last two hours because she's got a stomach bug uh, I'm going to help uh, Becky make uh, a curry we're having uh, completely made from scratch uh, nice. so I'm going to do that a lamb curry some kind of lamb curry uh, I'm going to go and help her make that and then I'm going to eat and I'm going to watch a film and kind of watch it going. Fucking hell, I wish I was watching Sorcerer right now. (laughs) Uh, So, thank you very much, guys, and uh, we shall speak to you next week. Cheers, guys. Cool. Uh, 